Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. F- Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to Doc G Show. I'm your host, Doc G, with me, as always, the man that was rated sexiest longhorn waiter in history by the Doc G Show, Dave Burles Berlin. True facts, people. Yes. Check your sources. Yes. The Doc G Show doesn't lie. No. No, we don't. I mean, granted, did you like how we I threw that lied. in at the end that it was yes. us that rated it? Uh, just you it's know. A, a reliable source. Very reliable. They, the only d- one that matters. Well, t- to my knowledge, Matthew McConaughey, the Mac Say Attack, what? has never worked at Longhorn Steakhouse, so nope. I so think the title is safely the yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if Mac Attack worked there, you'd, you'd be in oh, trouble. He'd, I'd, I'd hand him the trophy. You'd be in trouble. That guy. There's no no competition. He's he's a little. He's just so hairless. It's just so. Wait, what? Sexy and smooth. He's got hair in all the right places. Exactly. 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 Man. Anyways, Dave, aside from complimenting attractive men on this show, we don't have many themes. Nope. You know? No. But but no. there there are a couple that have ran for the most of the show. A couple themes. Hmm. And I think over the years, one of those themes has been, I'm old. That's a fact. I think yes. I think that's been a theme. Now, obviously, well, old, old and old and we 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 associate your your age with your wisdom. Nope. <laughs> Thank so you. Thank you. You have a, you have an old soul and you're very wise. Well, so you just come off as an old person. And it well, and it's it's a relative term, as we know. It's very relative because I'm sure you know. There's probably some uh, there's some older folks out there right now. You know, like 60, 70 year old folks that are listening. They're like, mm-hmm. ah, you're not old. You stop saying you're old, you know? That happens. I understand, mm-hmm. which it's true. It's just a number, you know? They're obviously cl- correct. I'm not old. I'm half their age. You're not a senior citizen yet. Yeah. Yeah, but but society says I'm old. Word. Uh, uh, standards of society say I'm old. And I've been thinking about this a little bit recently, Dave, and... I've constructed a list, hmm. a battery okay. of questions that both the listener and you can use to continuously ask yourself if you're old. So, hmm. uh, if you answer, so these are generational. Yes, this will work okay. for anybody. I think. Um, okay. Uh, if you answer four out of seven with a yes, that's mm-hmm. happened to you. Mm-hmm. You're probably mm-hmm. gonna have to face facts. You're pretty old. That's. Okay, I'm scared. No, I, I don't think Give you'll... Give me number one. I don't think you'll have many of these. I don't think you'll have okay. many of them. Okay, so number one, let's start with a simple one, Dave. A lot of folks like mm. to compare themselves to college and professional athletes when they're young, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Like, you'll, you'll be watching a game, and you're like, shh, Anthony Davis, he's like the same age as me, and he's in the prime of his career. That must be mean mm. I'm prime of my fitness as well, right? So true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is I've true. You're definitely still a young person in that scenario. That's true. Right. Now, yeah. once you switch over to coaches and you start going, <laughs> the, the, the second you start going, well, Brad Stevens, that's a young guy. 
And I'm younger than yeah. that, dude. No. No, you're old. That's a fact. That's it's that's it. If you've oh, done that, man. you're old. If, if there's no if there's no players your age and you have to transition to yeah. coaches, you're old. You're old. You're old. You're old. Okay. So that's number one. Number two, how to tell you're old. When you lose the interest of looking at yourself in a reflection or a mirror. Hmm. <laughs> So, you avoid it. Yes. So this <laughs> happens after, of course, you've seen a downward trend for years. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you've seen mm-hmm. spots. <laughs> you've seen wrinkles accumulate. You know, there's nothing but sad news looking back at you. Like, damn, looking at yourself in a mirror is like watching one of those ASPCA uh, animal commercials with Sarah McLaughlin playing in the background. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. that's happening in animal shelters, but you just don't want to acknowledge it. You're like, eh, yeah, you just avoid it. I, I don't start need to. Doing something I know else. that's happening. I don't want to see that. It's okay. You it's flip okay. the channel. Yeah. Because <laughs> I noticed I was walking down. This happened to. I was walking down the street and I saw this. I saw this group of young folks in front of me, and they just kept on looking mm. at themselves in the reflection of the building, like, oh, hey, hey. And I was like, hey, yacht stuff. I was like, I'm not doing oh, that. God. And I was like, why am no. I not doing that? Oh, that's right, because I don't want to see myself. Okay. Yes. Right. Okay. I remember. Okay, so number three, how to tell you're old. Hmm. When you can't have a meeting or talk Mm -hmm. on the phone or in any Mm -hmm. way verbally interact with someone for two hours Mm -hmm. after eating because of uncontrollable, unexpected belching. Wait, what? I think. Oh, geez. Yeah, I think we all have seen this. That happens when you get older? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes. (laughs) I think we've all seen this in action. The guy is talking, and all of a sudden he has to tuck in his chin and do the fist to the mouth thing like 15 Mm -hmm. times in five minutes. Like, you know. I I think about those, you know, those those hour or two after where you have to be worried if you have to run to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. See, that's a fast that, metabolism that be... right there. That's not a young person problem right there. It's going to take years to go through mm. that digestive tract. No, no, no. That's mm. a, that's a young okay. person problem right there. Uh, or well, I was thinking some sort of like um, when you have like the polyps that become mm. like irritated, mm. diverticulitis and yes. stuff like that. Yeah, that could be old. That's That's a little bit more, you know, that's down a specialized track of old though. Okay. We're going gen- we're going that's general. Just, that's old. just wear and tear to your digestive system. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, number four, how to tell you're old. This is not obvious. I've talked about this on the show. This was actually before you uh, started on the show, but I, I brought this up. Okay. So any really long time listener will remember. Um, but if you see a person that reminds you of someone you already know at least once a month. You're old. Mm-hmm. So true. Because yeah. Oh, you remind me of my uncle Sue, or the yeah. you remind me of my friend Ted. Yeah. Because this is this is simply God's way of saying he's ran out of new faces. That's a fact. You've been around too long. <laughs> he's had to repeat some things because you've been oh, around, dude. I mean, that's a good point. That's I a mean, very good point. A face is like a combination lock. There's only so many combinations of noses, lips, and eyes you can go for before you land on the same True. combination again. And you're like, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Very good point. So yeah, yeah, that's that's a and I do it that's all the deep, time. That's a deep one. That's Thank you. Deep one. Thank you. I've been I've been a fan of that one for four years. The longtime listeners know. I think I'd have to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure I brought it up on the second show 
Pretty sure. Um, number five. That was in your. That was in your monologue. Yeah. Your first one yeah. of your first monologues. Yeah. yeah. Number five. How to tell if you're old? If something happens to you, like let's say you get a big raise at your job, and you yeah. almost instantly start thinking of things that could go wrong. That means you're old. No, it does. I know what most like having too much power and stuff. Yeah, I know what most people are thinking. They're like, no, no, no. That just means you're 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 a pessimist. No, no. I think, Dave. I don't know if you know this or not, but the demarcation between old and not old is essentially the same line as being an optimist and a pessimist. Life has. I was honestly thinking that. Yeah. (laughs) Life has beat you into submission. And you were just like, you know what? Why would something good happen? That doesn't happen. That's that's not the case. Something will come along and ruin this. You have to oh fight to be an optimist. You have to continue to do it. But once you fall over that line, you're old. You're old. Maybe that light that shines through. Exactly. You just lose it as you get older. Exactly. Now, number six, this one actually just happened to me. And I got—I got to be honest. It was a little sad when it happened to me. Mm-hmm. But number six, how to tell if you're old? High school and college students automatically don't trust you. Mm. Automatically, it doesn't matter what you say. Whatever you say is automatically covered in a thick film of narkish behavior. They're like, this is Dang. definitely a narc. This is this is either a, <laughs> you're look, a narc. There, there's no there's no in between. To them, you're either a narc or a child molester. There's no happy medium of like this is a normal dude. No, one of the two. So once oh you hit that gosh. line and you're talking to a group of like twenty year olds and they're looking at you like, what does this dude want? Why is he talking to me? You're old. That's it. Just just accept it. You're old. And the last one. Number seven, how to tell if you're old. You start listing out potential reasons you could be old. Number seven, I did it. There it is. There it is. Sweet. Dave, are you old? Are you old? No, I am I am younger than I thought after listening to that. Good. Good. I'm very glad. I thought I thought it would actually embolden embolden you to feel younger. Um, I'm worried some of yours may be from your lack of grooming. Wait, what? Then your then your age. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that that I, you could at prob- least two of those possibly. You could probably put that as number eight when you lose the effort to groom, <laughs> the that's, desire to groom yourself yeah. to uh, impress others. I mean, honestly, that that's that's a sign in pets when they're getting too old when they won't groom themselves. So you know, right? I mean, yeah, I'm sort of like a pet. You know, whatever. Anyways, Dave, now that we have learned that you are not old and that I am old, are you ready to fire this show up? Let's fire it up, old man. All three engines up and burning. Two, one, zero, and liftoff. Dave, I am super excited. We've got a young guest today. What? A young fellow. I think he's, I think he's 26, I think. 26? Younger than both of us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A very popular guest. I would say he's right up there with our most popular musical guest we've had on the show. Right up there with, with Phil Collin of Def Leppard, Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, Jordan Davis. We've got grandson on the show today. Ooh. 
I, I'm super Boy, excited. We've got an extra long a banger. interview with him. I can't wait to talk to mm-hmm. him. We're going to talk about growing up in Canada, moving to L.A., creating the persona of grandson. He's got a couple of good mm-hmm. L.A. stories, being out there in the biz, a couple of those stories. Yeah. I'm excited to hear okay. those, man. But first, I'm going to start where we start. Birthday suit. Yes, sir. Happy birthday, Mr. President. I'm not going to lie. Uh, October 28th, a lot of good not birthdays. Good for us. No, oh, a lot okay. of good ones. A lot of good ones. It was hard to choose which ones I wanted to do. Um, right. So I, I went variety. I don't think, actually, okay. ho- hold on. Uh, uh, as I can remember, I don't think there's a single, uh, sp- yeah, n- not a single sport. Uh, uh, athlete, no athletes here. All right, time to, time to test my diversity. Yeah, I, I was pretty confident on this first one. Ninety percent, ninety percent. I think one thing will definitely give it away. I think, mm-hmm. but you might be too young, so I don't know. We'll see. Uh, okay, so born on October twenty eighth, nineteen sixty seven, in Smyrna, Georgia, which is uh, northwest side of Atlanta. Uh, Both of her parents had a love for acting and had acted in productions while in the armed forces. They ran a child theater in the Atlanta area right around the time that our birthday suit wearer was born. In fact, Martin Luther King's child, Yolanda Mm -hmm. King, went to their child theater. And as a thank you for having such a great theater, MLK paid the hospital bill of our birthday suit wearer when she was born. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, what a story, right? It's crazy. Pretty I had cool. I had no idea about that for this this person. I was blown away by that story. Anyways. Sadly, our birthday suit parents our birthday suit wearer's parents divorced in 1971. Our birthday suit wearer initially wanted to be a veterinarian, but after attending Georgia State University for a couple semesters, moved to New York City to pursue acting. She made her big screen debut in the movie called Satisfaction in 1988. Her breakthrough Mm -hmm. role, and arguably what she's still remembered for the most, came in 1990 when she starred in Pretty Woman. At the time, it was the biggest selling (laughs) romantic comedy, making Uh almost a half a billion dollars. In the 90s, she played in the movie, uh, in movie after movie, Sleeping with the Enemy, The Player, The Pelican Brief, Something to Talk About, My Best Friend's Wedding, Stepmom, Notting Hill, this one you might get. Here we go. She then starred in Runaway Bride and Aaron Brockovich. She also starred in Oceans 11, Oceans 12, Oceans 13, Hmm. Eat, Pray, Love, Charlie Wilson's War, Valentine's Day, Larry Crown, Mother's Day, Money Monster, many others. Many others. Hmm. Any idea? Um, Come on, man. Pretty Woman. uh, Pretty Woman. I never saw Pretty Woman. I'm trying to think of the Oceans movie. She's got a she's got a, a, a magnetic smile. Yes! Her smile will draw you in. She's also got a great laugh. Hmm. She's got red hair, naturally red reddish blonde hair. I think you'd call it strawberry hair, maybe. You're throwing. I got no idea. Girl, 
Oh, come on. Wow, I was really too confident uh, with the with the 90%. Uh, Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. I, I should have gotten that one. That's just me sucking. Dang it. People Magazine has named her the most beautiful woman a record five times. Wait, what? Dang. That's crazy. Yeah. That... I'm I'm that bad that I don't know that person. I, I mean, I know who Julia Roberts is, but I'm just not... I guess I didn't see enough of her stuff, man. Well, Dang. she has won an Academy Award, three Golden Globes, a Screen Actor Guild Award, and in my opinion, Dave, my humble opinion, has one of the most infectiously positive personalities and beautiful smiles in the biz. Yes! Amazing smile. Lights you up every Good time you really. see it. Really good one. Really it, good. It's it's a solid like it just it's it's an earnest smile. You believe it. It's not like a oh she's a model or oh she's an actress. She's smart. Now you I forgot she was in Pelican Brief too. Yeah, that was a really good movie. Come on, man. Come on. Jeez. Come on. It's all right. She's turning the big five three, five wow. three for Julia Roberts. Dang. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, Julia. Mm-hmm. Five three. Enjoy. Enjoy, man. She is. Uh, I. I had no idea she was from Atlanta either. I feel. I feel sort of. I feel sort of dumb for not knowing that. Blam. But then again, you made me That's feel okay. better for not knowing who she was. So that made me feel right. better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you ready to rip some headlines? Let's rip it, Doc. It's now time for rip from the headlines. Okay, uh, Dave. Here's an outside the box think piece type of question for you let's okay. say you take a stroll in the woods and mm-hmm. while you're strolling in the woods you come across a skull word and from everything you can tell this mm. is a real human skull what do you do hmm i freaking find the quickest way back to civilization huh and probably never tell anyone about it what <laughs> uh, i would probably alert the authorities would be my guess uh you know somebody to check in on it um yeah but then that's how you end up becoming the next so hit, true so. <laughs> who's the smart one in that theoretical situation well uh the man in knox county that this story is around did neither of our ideas nope so mm. last year a dude in Knox County was walking through the woods around Gobi, Gobi, Tennessee, and uh, mm-hmm. he came across a skull. And instead of contacting anyone or running back to his place, he decided, you know what? I should take the skull, put it up on my fireplace, and have it wear sunglasses. And oh, weird. He did that for like over a year. It set. On mm-hmm. his fireplace with sunglasses mm. until somebody came to his house and was like, eh, real skull? And he's like, yeah, totally. And the dude uh, contacted the police and the district attorney eventually received the skull. And unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately, but unfortunately for the original problem, the forensic mm-hmm. center identified it as a missing person from eight years ago. Oh. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Just for a point of reference, listeners, if you find a skull just hanging out in the woods, odds are it's not supposed to be there. Nope. And something illegal somewhere happened 
at some time involving that skull. Yes! Just if you touch it, you're then connected. <laughs> if you if you touch it, definitely contact somebody then. Cause yeah, right. you definitely <laughs> don't want to have the fingerprints on there and then somebody else find it. And like also just for the listeners, skulls aren't usually a case where finders keepers is a sufficient rule. Nope. That doesn't work in that situation. Like you can't just be like, hey, sweet. And I'm keeping Well, and he can't be like, I thought it was a monkey. Wait, what? <laughs> like, there's no freaking monkeys. That have that kind Tennessee. of skull. No. I, yeah, I, right. I've uh, I, I got to use it again, Dave. It's another instance of phone a friend. So true. You're in the woods. You walk upon what seems to be a real human skull. So you call up your friend. And you're like, hey, bro. Well, this guy has pretty cappy friends. If it took someone over a year to <laughs> inform the police that he had a human skull in his well, house. Well, you know, so, I mean, there was there was a pandemic going on. So maybe he was doing what he was mm. supposed to. And not many people were coming over, you know. Okay. But I'm, okay, fair enough. That's I'm a just, good point. I'm just thinking, you know, you call up your friend, though, and you're like, hey, I just found this human skull. And I don't know where it came from, but here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to take it back to my house, put some sunglasses on it, and obviously it'll make me way more popular because that's an awesome thing to have on your fireplace, right? Nope. And your friend will be like, (laughs) no, don't. And you'll be like, ah, all right, I guess not. And if your friend's Dave, he'll just be like, get out of there. Run. Abort. Abort. (laughs) Anyways, Dave. This story piqued my interest because it had a couple twists that I was not expecting. Uh, Mm -hmm. So not too surprisingly, a man in Cleveland walked into a Burger King not having a mask on his face. Girl, come on! Uh, Mm. Sounds like St. John's County. (laughs) He uh, he did have a mask. It was around his neck, Mm. but it was not Uh, over his face. Right where it should be. Yeah. And so the 18-year-old employee told him, he had to put a mask over his face if he was going to order. Hmm. Man then looked around the store and saw one person not wearing a mask, and he started cursing the girl uh, out and threatening to beat her up Word. because hmm. the rule was not being evenly enforced. And she apologized and said, yeah, you're right. That, that person should be wearing a mask too. And this didn't really calm him down. Because as he was waiting for his food, he threw a plastic tray at the girl that was working. Then comes the twist that really interests me. Uh, when his food was ready, he asked for, quote, an unreasonable amount of barbecue sauce. Wow. And mm. he was told he had to pay extra The man then responded by picking up a yellow cone and throwing it at the employee's head and hit her. And then he hopped on his bicycle and left. Uh, And I was going to say, this guy sounds like a winner. And then you said he hopped up on the bicycle and left. And that just like solidified. Cool people ride bicycles, Dave. Don't kid yourself, all right? To fast food restaurants. Yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Dave, this is just me. Well, first of all, I mean, let's be honest. Sadly, the whole mass thing, not surprising. Nope. But I think everybody, because I emphasized it, keyed in on the unreasonable amount of barbecue sauce. Like, what is an unreasonable... How did... Like, what form did he ask? Did he ask for, like, a gallon container of barbecue sauce? Or did he ask for, like, 40 packets of barbecue sauce? 
Like, yeah, I think if he just, if you say like, I guess there's like statistics that say like most people get like two packets, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. If he's like, give me a whole handful, is that an, a, a, a weird amount? Yeah, or is yeah, it like two well, hand, but he said if he if he says 40 packets like yeah that's that's weird now dave this is just me though i i don't know what the burger king's policy is on negotiating with domestic terrorists hmm. but if i was that girl i would have given him all the barbecue sauce in the restaurant to get him to leave that's a fact. i would have been like yeah sure here take it all please get out of yeah, here just, crazy yeah, man like you know like that the sauce isn't costing them that much i'm i'm just saying path of least resistance and this lady's like no way you were paying for that sauce, punk. Like, I would have been like, get on out of here. Take all of our sauce. That's fine. Well, it what- could be like it could be like how Taco Bell used to give you sour cream for free, and now it's 50 cents. Mm. Could you imagine if this guy went to Taco mm. Bell and asked for a bunch of sour cream, and he's mm. like, 50 cents a piece. Da, da, da. Mm. You know he would have I mean? thrown his bike at him. Would have been gotten oh, rough. Geez, they, someone would have died. Would have gotten rough. Friend. Dave, uh, with all the things going on in the news wildfires covid something that doesn't suck uh well people can lose sight of what's really important in the country that's a fact and uh luckily as they usually do folks in alabama are reminding us what's important word and what's important is mullets huh in the crimson tide mullets (laughs) That's right, Dave. The hillbilly hairdo the from the eighties in front and center in Alabama. Cause Hell why? Yeah. Cause why not? Am I right? Am I right? I don't think anything screams more Alabama than yeah, a mullet. Not too much. No, there's not. There's not much. Like you said, maybe roll tide. That's about it. Um, right. Ethan Boldaz of uh, of Roanoke, Alabama, is in the running for best kids mullet on the website mulletchamp.com word yeah and dave let me save the listeners time which is a thing i rarely say on this show because right that's not what we're in the business of doing you don't care about their time but <laughs> let me save them some time i went on mulletchamp.com it's exactly what you would expect out of a website that judges mullets. That's a fact. A hundred percent what you would expect. I uh, bet that IP address is definitely from Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> now, back to Ethan. Ethan's in Roanoke, Alabama. I love this part of the story. Apparently, he started growing the mullet and entered the contest at the urging of his dad and his barber. Yes! His dad and his barber were like, oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. That's right. You got to go in. Like, would you know, it's good to know that Ethan has some some standout adult role models in his life, you know? Mm -hmm. Making sure Mm -hmm. he gets involved in the right stuff like mullet competitions. Right? Dude, this this website is better than expected. What? (laughs) Uh, Well, when asked about the competition, Ethan said, I'm hoping I win it. If I don't, it'll be all right though. Hmm. I'm glad. I'm glad he's not putting all of his hopes and dreams on the mullet competition. I'm glad right. he's okay if he doesn't win it. That's good. We're hoping though, Ethan. Fingers crossed. Best kids mullet. We're hoping for you, uh, Dave. As you're you well, it, Ethan. 
Yes. Shout out to Ethan 100%. Shout Good out. job on your curly mullet, too. Curly mullet. Um, oh, that's impressive. Now, Dave, as you're well aware, a lot of our stories uh, involving criminal activity on the Doc G uh-huh. show, they don't involve a creative plan. And uh-huh. even if it's creative, it's not usually well thought out nope. of a plan. Right? Right. Well, a man in Collier County, Florida, he had a pretty fairly creative plan. And it was pretty well thought out. But loss of prevention worker at Walmart made sure he didn't get away with it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So Brad went into Walmart last week, and he started putting a whole bunch of stuff in his cart. In fact, $1,000 worth of stuff in his cart. Along with the $1,000 worth of goods, he also got several 24-cent packs of Kool-Aid. He then went to the self-checkout line and held the Kool-Aid packet to the scanner underneath each item as he scanned it so that the bill Mm. would come out with just the Kool-Aids on it. But... That's kind of that's actually pretty smart. Not a bad idea, right? But here's here's the thing. So his bill came out to be under $20 when it was actually mm-hmm. $1000 worth of goods, but apparently a lady, like I said, in the loss prevention department of Walmart recognized Brad from a previous shoplifting situation. Mm. And so oh. she kept her eyes on Brad and immediately picked up on a scheme called the cops and of course he got arrested God is a- now Dave in this case if we go back to calling a friend the friend might actually go whoa that's a cohesive illegal plan right there now obviously the friend should let them know that it is illegal still and they could uh, stand charges of grand theft but that's a fact It's a better plan than selling a French bulldog puppy in an Arby's parking lot or trying to scam a casino with Monopoly money. So, you know, I mean, as far as some of the plans go, it's a better scheme than that. And I will say, Dave, when I was a youngster, uh, I used to do a similar thing. It wasn't theft. I'll say that right now. Uh, What I did was I would put a sticker, a price sticker, over the parental advisory sticker on CDs so that it would look like there was not a parental advisory sticker, and then I would find the most unknowing attendant in the CD store, and I would check out with that unknowing attendant. You know, the guy that looks super old, that looks like he's only into jazz, so he has no idea what new CDs are, and then I would go up, and there you go. Now... Uh, obvious. You know, that, that's you just did another thing that you're old because you bought CDs. That's true. I bought a lot of CDs. Now, see the risk there for me though was that the cashier would pick up on it and tell me to put the CD back. There was no risk of grand theft with my uh, purchase. So, right, right. you know, a little less risky. But I'm saying sort of a similar philosophy, similar idea. You know, um, Brad. Good a luck. Thought with- out plan that didn't work good good luck with the uh grand theft charges uh uh, hopefully hopefully that doesn't turn out too bad for you um dave i've got i got an interesting one here so this is a little bit of local news 
Uh, some fellas in Jacksonville decided to film a music video. Sweet. Uh, in the cul-de-sac on Indian Lakes Drive, north of 103rd Street. Uh, while yeah. they were filming the video, one of the dudes in the video started, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna record the film set, Facebook Live. Here we go, mm -hmm. right? Now, the problem of doing the live streaming of the music video was that the fellas in the video were brandishing some form of firearms, mm. right? Mm. Now, police officers got wind of the music video. Somebody, I guess, told them, or maybe they were just cruising Facebook. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But they went to the site to see what was going on with these uh, these these guns. And right. uh, so they got to the music video site, and found out that indeed they were real guns and mm. they were loaded real guns. jeez. Oh, and the police arrested five individuals that were taking part in the music video for uh, unlicensed carrying of weapons and two more that were convicted felons. Now, Dumb. I, I should note, Dave, that it is impossible to determine whether a gun is fake or real from a video. Several mm -hmm. uh, lawyers have already weighed in that, which would bring into the question the probable calls that the officers went on. Mm. But I will also note um, that regardless of whether what the cops did was legal as far as going to uh, the music video site, uh, just a, a general rule of thumb, don't live stream yourself if you're doing illegal things. Don't, right. don't, I mean, you know, it's, it's just, it seems like just to me, it seems like a live stream of illegal activity is basically like Pokemon go for police officers. That's a fact. Like they're just <laughs> waiting. To, oh, there they are. Catch them. Go. Yeah, like got to catch them all. It's not, it's not a good plan. You don't want to be a part of that. So, I mean, you know. I think it would have been fine if they just didn't live stream it and they would have put out the video. Nobody would have ever been, uh, you know, arrested. But well, and I mean, and it's having them loaded too was a is a well, big thing. You know, if they if they would have came and the officers would have been like, oh, these aren't even loaded. Like, you know, get get yeah, you know, get certif you know that, that well, you own them or whatever it is that you're. I was about to say whatever. I, I think I think the police came in with a little bit of bad intentions as far as just wanting to. I mean, they would have they would have still well, arrested probably. them. Um, yeah. But uh, another thing that should be noted of this was another classic story that says a lady wanted to stay anonymous, and then they say the name of her husband who was arrested in the video. Wait, what? They oh, say, wow. and I'm just like, um, <laughs> uh, probably not anonymous anymore. It's basically like being like, hey, lady that works at Target on the corner of 42nd Street, lives at Lake Edge Apartment uh, Complex on 16th Street in Unit 322. She wants to stay anonymous, guys. Hmm. Like, so, you know, I'm just saying, news, if you want to keep somebody anonymous, Maybe don't mention how they're connected to the story. Just nope. Just an idea. Just I'll just throw it out there. Anyways, uh, Dave, real quick story before we go to break. How many times have you been shot by a seven-year-old at Sam's Club? Wait, what? Shot. Mm-hmm. Shot Never. at or shot. Never. Good. Good. That is good. Thankfully. Um, but it is a possibility out there, because apparently this happened in Ohio last week. So, 
Amanda Carr's seven-year-old daughter took Amanda's gun out of her purse, released the safety, and fired the gun several times. Jeez. Which ended up injuring several people, not from the actual gunshot, but from shrapnel uh, from the gunshots. Wow. Uh, Wow. Here's how Amanda described the situation. She looked away for, quote-unquote, a short time, heard the boom, and realized her child pulled the gun out of her purse, released the safety, and pulled the trigger. Uh, The article described the purse as having a quote-unquote concealed compartment Hmm. that the gun is was in. Uh, Two Hmm. things here, Dave. First of all, uh, if a seven-year-old disarmed the safety in a couple of seconds, maybe it shouldn't be called a safety. Like no, m- maybe it should be childproof. Ca- maybe it should be called "kill people now" button. Like <laughs> I mean, it takes me at least a couple of seconds to get past the child safety top on a top of a Tylenol bottle, and you're telling right. me c- couldn't come up with something like do that? A gun. Couldn't, Ugh. and then your your compartment isn't really concealed if a seven year old can find it in two seconds when you're looking at the shelf. Just to mm-hmm. just to let you know. Anyways, Dave, we are going to take a break. We are going to be right back. But first, we are going to hear a new tune from Grandson. And then after the break, like I promised, extra long interview with Grandson himself. I can't wait. But first, this one's off of his new album, Death of an Optimist. This is Riptide. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, we are extremely lucky to have a fantastic artist gaining fans by the day. Jordan Benjamin, better known as Grandson. How are you, sir? Thank you for having me on the show. I'm good. Thanks for asking. Yes. Yeah. Well, so uh, let's take it back. Uh, Let's rewind it to the start of the pandemic. So about seven months ago, you're getting ready to go on four huge tours like back to back to back tours that literally would have took you up to this point had it not been for the pandemic and instead literally like right before you're getting ready to leave you find out yeah these aren't happening how yeah how long were you in shock that you couldn't do those tours i mean because that's got to be you know huge blow i mean it's it's your it's it's the major part of your salary it's the major part of the year. Like, how, how much of a shock was that? Yeah. Um, I mean, more than anything, um, I've been really lucky to spend some time on the road over the past two years. Yeah. I'm relatively new to this, but, but you know, just getting to go across North America, across Europe, it's really just so important as an artist to be able to know who's connecting with your work. And um, I had been able to kind of get a better sense of who's on the other side yeah. um, because, you know, we've become more and more insulated through our phones as this vehicle with which to express all of these emotions, put this music out. Yeah. So um, I had definitely become kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say dependent, but I had definitely been looking forward to continuing to grow in that way. Yeah. You also build these relationships, you know, for better or worse, you're stuck on a bus with 10 dudes for the better part of two years, you guys are going to become 
uh, pretty familiar oh, yeah. uh, with the ins and outs. And so to abruptly have that um, go away. And, and in this genre of music, rock and roll is just tested on the road. You know, oh, yeah. like, so that was, you know, something that I was looking forward to. And at this stage of my career also just, I think we were finally at the point where, you know, I had never really done many big opening opening slots. Yeah. And I was looking forward to getting in front of people who show up early and get to their seat with their bag of popcorn and and check out, you know, the the open the, the appetizer yeah. for, for whoever that big artist is. So um, I can't say exactly who, but we did have a couple of those lined up. I was re- really looking forward to. And uh, like you said, just a day before we were about to embark on the first of what was going to be a long succession of, of, of tours on the road. It all got canceled. And I gave myself a little bit of time. Sure, I was, I was pretty devastated. And, and I think we were, we were all pretty disoriented. Oh, the, yeah. the lack of certainty or um, clarity with what the, the world was going to look like. But to be honest with you, within a week or two, once I had to accept the, the reality of what this year was going to look like instead yeah. of what I thought it was going to look like. Um, it w- we still had a year to get through and yeah. I didn't want to come out of the other side of this thing um, in the same spot that I went into it. For and sure. that looks different for everybody. But for me, that meant expanding my creative comfort zone, mm-hmm. spending more time in front of the camera, fleshing out a more cohesive, um, kind of aesthetic and, and concept for my debut album that I had begun working on, but was able now to, to go even deeper into. Yeah. Um, and even doing things like taking guitar lessons for mm. the first time in 10 years and trying to, you know, just keep learning. I, nice. I come from a family where, you know, the, if, I, if my, my father said, you'll never, you'll never learn anything if you spend the whole time in between your, your two years, you know, if I spent too much time sitting alone, feeling overwhelmed by the, um, the, 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 the challenges that I face, I, I know I never get anywhere. And so very yeah. early within, in the pandemic, you went, okay, what can I learn? How can I get better? Yeah. How can I keep growing? And I feel that over the past, you know, seven, eight months that has really been, a theme that I return to to maintain my sanity has been nice. what am I getting better at and how am I growing grandson? Because it really is in some ways a luxury to yeah. have all of this time as an artist and to have such a unifying um, feeling that mm-hmm. we're all going through right now. So I've yeah. tried to cut to that, but some days are better than others. <laughs> Well, well, I did see in an interview, like, right, yeah, it was probably right around the start of the pandemic. I think it was in April, somewhere around there. You did say that you had started some goals and you said that you even, you even had fitness goals in there. What? You were going to, you were yeah. going to try to hit 200 pushups a day. Now, <laughs> now have you, have you kept that going? Um, it's funny that you say that we had a, we had a family, um, spreadsheet that we were all inputting our push-up numbers. Into nice. And it was fun to kind of gamify passing the time, but, um, I always joke with my girlfriend, there's different seasons to quarantine. If quarantine was a show, <laughs> then, you know, fitness was like season one. And then <laughs> got into it. 
binging the Sopranos with season two. Got into uh, a little less activity, yeah, physical we activity. Up, we started playing some tennis. I, I, me and some of my old friends in LA. Nice. As a method of being able to spend time together from a, from a safe distance. Yeah. Tennis, I'm terrible at it, but it's fun. And then, you know, getting into true crime, you know, nice. binging Netflix. You got to do whatever you can to make it through the day. Well, but, um, well talking yeah. about that that Netflix live stream performance, I, I saw something. Uh, are you talking about something that I also enjoyed a lot? I heard you talking about the Laurel Canyon documentary. Uh, oh, I loved that. Oh, you really can't. You know your. I try. Ready to ready to talk. I I, tr- I try, man. But like you know, I mean, that's such an amazing part of music history. I mean, you've got Crosby, Sills, and Nash, and you got Joni Mitchell, and you got the Eagles, and you just got all these amazing '60s and '70s artists. And I noticed during the the pandemic, you've done some you know sort of acoustic live stream some sort of stripped down uh yep. tunes now were you inspired sort of by that documentary did that inspire oh, you very much so very much so well for context i had always you know james taylor was one of the biggest artists that was uh, my my parents played a lot when i was a kid same here man yep. same yep. here bill withers um albeit more on the blues side of things but still acoustic guitar grandma's hands ain't no sunshine yeah I always knew that I love acoustic music and I always wanted to do a project that was in that world. Um, I, I, you know, it, it, there might have been a certain learning curve for my for my fans and for people that come to expect one thing when a grandson song comes out. Yeah, I had to kind of there were it took me helping them understand that I'm going to make, you know, music that's influenced by whatever it is that I'm going through yeah and so I, I i remember watching that documentary on laurel canyon and i first watched this documentary about a year ago so fall of 2019 and yeah. there were so many artists that i considered my contemporaries who were on tour across america at the same time so mm. me and kate flay and yeah. you know matt mason mm-hmm. and dreamers and ex-ambassadors all these all these artists and Whenever we were at festivals together, there would be nothing but good vibes and everyone was very welcoming, familiar with one another's work, but we just never had the time because everyone was on tour. So one of my big goals going into this year was, you know, I don't want to feel like a a loner out here because there's so many people that are making such great music and and so much overlap with our audiences that we really owe it to to the people that support us to give them, you know, a, a different taste of what it would look like for us to work together. So nice. I really did want to like, I think that alternative music and rock and roll are in as exciting a place as they've been in my lifetime with yeah. so much collaboration, this really healthy balance of bringing in new influence, but also paying homage the way that mm-hmm. pop punk is having a revival right now mm-hmm. versus you know, artists like Suburban who are bringing in all kinds of darker, more electronic themes. I just really wanted to be feeling like a part of that. You yeah. Know, when I look back on this epoch or something of alternative music, <laughs> I want to feel that my, you know, that I got my hands dirty in it. So I did spend some time this, uh, this winter working on some, um, 
acoustic collaborations that that were a nod to that 60s 70s nice. folk, folk influence for sure well and i mean with you know i i say with a lot of the artists that we have on the show if you you make a good song then you can strip it back to that sound and it will sound good. Like uh, a good song's going to sound good no matter That's how right. much production. I heard David, Cros- David Crosby talked about that once. Yeah. And that really stuck with me. And um, I look at my song Bloodwater as an example of that. I've yeah. been really lucky to have a song that connected with people across um, countries. And it's gone bigger than I ever could have imagined. But, you know, being able to take a song that does have a, a huge electronic influence. Yeah. But also see people interpreting it just with an acoustic guitar or a little baby grand piano. Like mm-hmm. those things are encouraging. And I always um, try to challenge myself um, despite all the new gadgets and the accessibility <laughs> of music technology now. I always want to um, consider myself a, a songwriter in, in the classic sense of it. For sure. For sure. Well, so let, let, let's take uh, the listeners back real quick as far as how you got to where you're at in your career. Um, you're, you're a dual citizen, America and Canada. You grew up in Canada. Uh, both your parents were into music. Your mom was a piano teacher. Your dad was actually a professional musician before y- you came along. Uh, did they want you to be in music? Hmm. With I mean, you know, with that, sometimes... Sometimes you have those parents that are like scarred from music experiences and they're like, no, no, stay away. Did they encourage you to go into music? Um, they were, um, supportive while not pushing me in any one particular direction. If anything, I've lamented that I wish that they tiger, you know, treated me like Tiger Woods and (laughs) kept a guitar in my hands for when I was a kid. But yeah, I was a pretty stubborn, insubordinate kid (laughs) from a very early age and, um, they couldn't get me to sit still. Um, from you know, even in front of a piano or anything. Yeah. So it very much was a later. I, it wasn't until I was in high school that I took more of a curiosity to it. And um, I always tell people, young people, whenever they ask me about finding their passion, I, I look for the intersection of the things that you have a natural aptitude for and the things that you take a lot of pleasure in in improving at. Yeah. You know, like I was lucky because I come from the family I come from. I did have some musical bone in my body, I guess. And I have two older sisters who had really good taste in music who gave me a crash course in hip hop and, nice. and rock and roll. But, but ultimately it was that um, cycle of um, sitting alone with a guitar or with my laptop and, and becoming obsessed with watching myself improve. No, yeah. And um, so once I found that, it was very obvious. You know, I had kind of been sleepwalking through life. And <laughs> and to anybody listening, you know, I, whether you're a parent of a child or, or you're a teenager, not really sure, it should take time. You should try things. You are you have to hit these dead ends. And it wasn't yeah. until I found music and songwriting that it became apparent to me that nothing else um, made me feel like that. I had yeah. been kind of going through the motions for things that I was passively interested in or, th- or, or careers that I thought would be more, um, sensible or pragmatic. But, um, once I found songwriting, it was very clear to me. And, and, and I was very, very lucky that I came from the kind of family that supported that, um, and, and didn't make me feel alone in searching for my identity and putting progressive issues into my music telling stories that might be 
confrontational. Yeah. Um, I was lucky that I had a, a family around me. And from there, I developed a team of my co-writer and my manager who all um, empowered me to, to just dig deeper, get weirder, take even bigger chances. Um, and I feel very much that whatever I accomplish is... Um, is 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 just an extension of that support system nice well you you mentioned you know uh improving on the guitar as you were going through there and so yeah i heard you 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 started playing the guitar at summer camp do you remember the first song that you learned how to play on the guitar oh man the first dude you're bringing me back <laughs> there are a couple everyone learns the smoke on the water bass yeah line. yeah that's the first song anybody learns if, That's if you true. learn something else you've got to go back and start again <laughs> you have to learn the smoke on bow, the water baseline that's bow, it bow, and then the power chords yeah. and then i learned seven nation army it was all like nice. very simple um stuff in that world just like little bass lines or riffs but oh but when, now when, i'm still trying to write something as simple and powerful as, ooh, as, i was as about to say things. when you find those riffs though like that and it's like you said you the first time you play it you're just like i want to play this oh, 15, they're uni they're universal. 15 000 times in a row right now uh, I was I went to Moscow to play a concert last summer, and um, we we got the opportunity to hang around for a couple of days. It was it was a really cool, eye opening trip. I had never been there, but yeah. we actually got tickets to go see a Metallica show. Whoa! Uh, and so we got to go to this big soccer stadium in the in the middle of Moscow, and while waiting for Metallica to come on the whole stadium breaks out in a chant of the seven nation army <laughs> riff. and it's like okay that is rock and roll like that is the universality you know like how cool is that it's so it's so exciting to watch and that yeah i always am seeking those kind of um they're unique and they're original but somehow they feel like they've been in your life at, you know yeah. your whole life those are the the riffs or the concepts for songs that i that I'm looking for. And, yeah. and even when I don't find them, it's like good, it's a good direction to set myself in. And, who, you know, even if I fall short, I, I hopefully along the way can, can make songs that inspire people and that get people rocking. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, it's funny you mentioned Seven Nation Army because like Jack White, he, he's a bit of a, like you say, he's a bit of abrasive character himself in a lot of ways. Um, and I, we've actually were lucky. We had Crownlands on from uh, from Canada. Uh, who's they they toured with Jack White, and I asked him. I was like, how 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 abrasive is that dude? Does he is he is he as like you know hard edge as he seems? And they were like, no, no, that's I think that's mostly an act. But like, regardless of what you think about that guy, he can oh, make rock God. he can make riffs like you wouldn't believe. And he's also that guy, like you said, he is obsessed with making himself better. Like he is obsessed yeah. with hearing that sound. It's very impressive the way he works. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was, it was uh, August of 2018. I was just getting off of my first and second tours ever. Mm -hmm. And Lollapalooza came around. Mm. And I wasn't performing, but I had a good friend, Allison Hagendorf, who messaged me and she said, Rock and roll is back. It's at Lollapalooza this summer, and you have to be there. <laughs> so I just grab a ticket. 
Um, last minute, I call my booking agent. I ask him to pull me some favors. I have nowhere to stay, though. And I get a friend of a friend puts me in touch with Carmen Vanderberg from Bones UK. Yeah. One of my favorite rock bands. Yeah. Um, and so we talk on the phone for about 10 minutes. And she invites me to come crash in their hotel room. So there's six of us in this hotel room I've never met. Rosie and Carmen are now two, two really good friends of mine. Yeah. And they've gone on to be Grammy nominated and done all kinds of cool but they've done the show to shout out to Bones oh, cool. UK. Yeah. They're, I was telling you the alumni. <laughs> um, and so we end up one night, there's an after party that Jack white is performing at. Uh, mm. I don't know if it's with one of his bands or what, but we end up there and I am, it's been a long day. We've consumed many, uh, <laughs> uh late adult beverages. Right and illicit substances <laughs> and we're kind of wandering through this crowd and i swear I, I i think that i'm being pulled into like a a broom closet or something but i end up in a green room <laughs> with like 20 people and jack white walks by uh, like this this larger than life human and i'm yeah. completely unprepared for this moment i didn't <laughs> expect it or anything and um i blur i just look at him and i'm just like oh jack congratulations <laughs> I don't even know what I'm congratulating. I guess I was congratulating him for being Jack White, you know? <laughs> and he kind of gives me this perplexed look, kind of like, who let this guy in here? And, and kind of kept going. So hopefully one day I can, like, apologize for being such <laughs> But that was a really funny, one of those, like, just almost famous kind of moments. Yeah, man. Where I just found myself in this broom closet with Jack White and Bones UK. That's just, my story. Just sort of, just in slow-mo. Why did I say congratulations? Yeah, yeah just was... totally. I'm in the shower the next day just thinking about congratulations it. Congratulations for what? <laughs> what am for I doing? You did it, dude. You're you. <laughs> you made it. Oh, yeah, man. That's good. That's good, man. Well, and uh, you mentioned Carmen, man. Talk about guitar, though. She can. Oh. God, she is a guitarist. She is. She is amazing. Like, yeah, she's the kind of you know, she's the kind of friend that she'll just abruptly. We were sitting in this hotel room, and she just goes, "I just want to play," and <laughs> she wanders off. She leaves. We don't see her till the next morning. It turns out she found some blues bar downtown <laughs> and moseys in and plays until five in the morning with a cigarette dangling out of her mouth. That's that's Carmen. That's, that's how she, that's how she met Rosie. Uh, they, that's, yeah, you know. So I mean, that's not too surprising. But yeah, she's she is she's an amazing guitarist, man. Um, but back to your your career. Uh, so we we left off you learning guitar, you switched over to hip-hop pretty soon, like you said. You got into hip-hop. Um, when when you were actually trying to be a hip-hop artist, what what do you think you were as far as, like, a hip-hop artist? Were you a beats man? Were you a lyrics man? Delivery oh, man? Nobody's really asked me that. Um, it's funny. I, I literally, at one point on my family desktop, I had the, you know, do not open Jordan folder on my family <laughs> desktop. And I had two folders. One was literally called rap lyrics and one was songs. Yeah. So um, I think that my style of writing was very influenced by um, Big L, Eminem, nice. battle rap, punchline-y party trick kind of yeah. Very, very... Um, uh, uh, self-deprecating yeah. or um, just being a, a kind of punk kid, you know, very or Beastie Boys inspired to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I always, I never in my head considered what I was doing was songwriting because yeah. I would sit with my acoustic guitar and make songs, but I never thought I was good enough at that to pursue it. And my rap stuff was always very um, irreverent mm -hmm. in a way that I think there's some degree of um, audacity or, or irreverence in what I do now, but it's maybe um, just, it just comes out in different ways. But back then it was really mostly just, um, I was curious. I love putting together um, multiple syllable rhyme schemes and trying to connect the end of one line to the end of the next line. Like, yeah. what is the filler that I can use to bridge these the, the sounds coming out of my mouth? Yeah. Um. So that was kind of where it came from. I loved like the improvisation of hip hop and the humor that can be in it. But mm -hmm. once it became time to like use songwriting to tell my story, I never felt that hip hop I, I i never felt like it was mine to 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 use or to do yeah it was all, i was always a fan of hip hop a student of hip hop but as far as being an artist being a songwriter there was always this kind of disconnect and it took understanding that you can you can couch those kind of um cadences in a rock song yeah. you know alternative music was something i just never really put two and two together for i had listened to anthony kiedis and listened to rage against the machine but it just never clicked in my mind that i could i could do that until i had already kind of moved to los angeles yeah. run out of money and <laughs> been dropped from a label i just didn't really it took me hitting all these dead ends to go you know are you willing to do whatever it would take and reinvent yourself? Or do you want to just go home, you know, knowing that your comfort zone wasn't good enough? Yeah. And yeah. so that pushed me to experiment with, you know, and I had also been trying to produce electronic music and done some DJing and nightclubs doing, you know, Skrillex and yeah. Rusco and Flux Pavilion and all, all these emerging electronic artists of the, the the mid to 2010s yeah so it was finally like okay if i'm gonna do my own thing i need to not just pick one of these places to draw from i need to find some intersection of all of them because that's really what makes me me yeah. that's what makes my sound unique it's what makes my taste unique is this combination of these different genres of music and so that was the starting point from which i kind of built grandson was can we do rock riffs hip-hop sensibility and how i write and and how i um structure a song and then can we add this electronic kind of gloss to it afterwards to to make sure that it doesn't just sound derivative of of you know any one iconic band from the 70s or the 90s or how do i make it sound like right now yeah and that's and i'm still trying to figure that out i you know we're still students of the game i still look at other artists and and try to learn from them and try to make my next song my best song yeah i was i was gonna ask that actually because you know i i had heard you talk about you know going into hip-hop and and never really thinking until you met boone as far as like thinking i can do this rock thing i can do this and it's it's funny how people are so brainwashed by record companies 
into believing that there's a strict category of like like your computer rap rock that's it you split it and like i mean you know you've got all of these bands that have so many other sounds in there but you do it's and your your evidence of it you grow up and you're like well i can't mix those two that'd just be crazy who would do that i just think it's so important to not wait for anyone else to give you permission yeah to just you know like go try and that you don't know how to do. Yeah. Go immerse yourself and don't spend too much time looking at other people's finished product and thinking, why doesn't my stuff sound like that? Yeah. Because they too went through that that period. And with Grandson, it was a full year between us meeting for the first time, me and my collaborator, Boone, that you mentioned, yeah. and putting out any music was, you know, 25, 30 different ideas that went nowhere. So. Yeah. It was just kind of okay. This this feels closer, but I'm still missing a little bit of this other thing. And yeah. bringing new or, or old songs, bringing in some song from the '70s, and going, you know, uh, we need to find a way to bring more pentatonic blues into this. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, Kevin brought in System of a Down, and it was like, whoa, like, <laughs> how do we bring some of that into this? And so yeah, if you if you give someone sitting behind their desk permission. And frankly, I still um, struggle with that in a lot of ways, especially in the pandemic, you know, being so reliant on my phone for me to understand, is my music being recognized or, or, you know, is this uh, community still there? Yeah. Um, I still catch myself giving other people permission to tell me whether what I'm doing is good or not. And Mm -hmm. it's such a volatile journey. It's so up and down and it's not a great place from which to build your, your own personal identity because you just can't control what other people think. And, and they don't know, they don't know any better than you do what's best for you. Even if they've had success in the past, all they have is an opinion and all you have is yours. And, you have to build the the trust in that. Yeah. And I think that that's what makes an artist great. We've definitely talked about that with some of my uh some of the other guests on the show as far as you know getting caught in that trap of trying to make music that you think people will like instead of making music that you like, that you right. want to make, you know, and and sort of how artists have to believe in themselves to make something that people want to listen to and those artists uh, the, the the audience of those artists don't know they want to listen to it yet you know that's right and i i believe that to be true i always say that that there's a bunch of grandson fans out there that they just don't know that this is the kind of they don't even know this kind of music exists yeah and yeah. so what can i do to facilitate that um real that eureka moment whether that's you know being spending more time on social media or just finding new ways to connect and grow i feel an obligation because whether or not it's about my own personal success or the music there's a message underlying everything i do which is within you exists the capacity to write the narrative for your story like you are the one with your hands on the steering wheel and if you're not then you can choose any point in time to take your hands back and and reverse course and and be okay with who you are Mm -hmm. you know whether that is you know starting your first high school club um for for lgbtq kids or it's running for congress or it's 
standing up to an abusive family member or struggling with addiction, all of those themes, they come out in my music through the concept and topic of um, hope and 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 agency. And yeah. so I feel an obligation to get more people to come to that and yeah. and find the soundtrack to take on that that challenge, which is not easy for anybody, especially in this in this year, you know, this yeah. year. So whether that means me getting on TikTok or you know collaborating with other artists, I'm 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 excited by the prospect of being able to be a positive catalyst in people's lives, and I think that that's what rock and roll is all about. For sure, for sure. Well, uh, before I jump uh, into, I, I want to, you know, jump into some of that creation of of uh, grandson and just just the ideas and sort of philosophies that come behind that. But real quick, before you made it to grandson, you're so you 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 went to college, you went to college, uh, and actually we're we're studying education, and you you made a video of you rapping uh and it just happened to be on this website wavo and a and r guy randomly sees this asks you to come to la and uh you don't really believe it but he he does send you out to la and they fly you out in your head this is you at 20 you've dabbled in this music stuff you like you said you've 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 written lyrics, you've you've played the guitar, but like I mean, you know, really, y- you haven't done too much at that point. Like, are you thinking in your head, "Well, I've done it. I'm the next Eminem. I'm here." <laughs> like, is that uh-huh, totally, dude? I was like, nobody can tell me anything. Yeah, I got an advance for like ten grand. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, I can I can buy a house now <laughs> in Los Angeles, California. Of course, I didn't. I really didn't have any idea what I was getting myself into, but it really did dawn on me that I knew that I had time on my side and I felt like I I felt an obligation to just some things in life you gotta see through. I yeah. really feel that. And again, I, I bring that back to just being growing up in an environment where that was encouraged, where yeah. it was like, Well, you know, let's what happens if I spent a couple years trying to do something? And if, if it doesn't work out, then I'll go back to school or I'll yeah. get a job, you know, I'll figure, I'll figure it out. But this was something that I felt was worth failing at. Like I just <laughs> needed to see it through. I had no real idea of what I was doing. And early in my career, because I, as you mentioned, you know, it happened so unexpectedly, just making music with my friends and this very serendipitous you know, it goes on some website and all of a sudden I got a plane ticket to Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, I think because of that, it kind of warped my understanding of who do I do this for? Yeah. Because all the, once I once I got this A&R at this label on board, and for anybody listening who doesn't know, an A&R is like a talent scout, yeah. essentially. You know, once I realized, okay, this guy likes my music and then his boss writes the check then i felt like all i have to do is just keep them happy yeah and and i can you know support myself and get to make music and smoke pot in in (laughs) sweet and it took it took a long time for me to realize that they are not the people that matter are the people that are listening are the people that connect with your 
with what you have to say and how you say it. Yeah. Like that is the people that you have um, any obligation to, or those are the, the, those are my boss. Yeah. Not some, some guy at a label who's got a budget and throws me a, a you know, a couple grand and, and, and just expects me to go out and, and become a viral sensation off. It, it just doesn't work like that. And yeah. I think if you get too wrapped up in the microcosm of the music industry, it's just a death sentence because I I'm so lucky that I was able to start a new project and and kind of be able to have this blank slate and, and a second start. And once I started Grandson, I never lost sight of that. Yeah. It, the people listening to this, you know, sometimes I struggle with wanting more people to listen or <laughs> wanting to be on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine or something. Yeah. But but it is always the people that have been here, you know, the people that are making fan art, that are making fan um, accounts or sending me letters and that I get to meet at, at the meet and greet at the show. Like yeah. it is them. And, you know, I always have a little mantra before we get on stage, even if we're doing the end of the tour, you know, we're on week five and everybody's t tired and needs to do their laundry. Yeah. I just try and remember that, you know, somebody you got a new this person. Somebody's big night. Yeah. They they found a babysitter for their kid. Mm -hmm. They got Ubers to and from the venue so they could drink and have a good time. And and they are the um they're the ones in charge around yeah. here. And I'm just lucky to to be the messenger, be, be the soundtrack, but they're the main character. And um that was a hard lesson that I think my very unorthodox um early start to my career taught me for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, that, uh, as the listeners know, I am a huge fan of Michael Jordan. That's a fact. And mm. that's, uh, one thing that, that Michael Jordan, that I can tell from several, several different stories from other people that he always said that exact same thing before every game. It didn't matter if it was a game in, you know, Minnesota on a Tuesday night. He wouldn't. He would always play his best because he said somebody out there came to see Michael Jordan, and I'm yeah, not. I'm not and that's so cool to me. That's that's uh, that's there's something noble in that. I think. Yeah, well, and, you know, and, you don't want to let them down. You know, they they came to see you, and and what it's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a crappy show if you come out there as grandson. You're like, hey guys, not really into this one. Here we go, let's mail it yeah. in. Like they came to see me, and they came to see a, a part of themselves reflected back that they don't they don't you know somebody wants to be able to get up on stage and smash a guitar, but they don't <laughs> have the they haven't given themselves permission yet or yeah. something. I'm, yeah. I'm here to help you recognize that that it was within you the whole time. And, you know, that comes into play when I talk to fans who are navigating um, mental health struggles, whatever that may look like. A lot of the time, we as artists receive messages along the lines of, you know, your music saved me or yeah. something like that. And I'm very quick to remind people that you saved you. Yeah. You know, within you is the rock star around here. You're the one who has to wake up every day and be you. And despite everything you've gone through, you're still here. Yeah. Uh, and so those are the, the, the things that I think uh, I want people to just when they listen to my music or when they explore this debut album, I hope what it is doing is holding up a mirror for them to reflect on how they fit into these stories. Nice. Nice. Well, so 
Let, let's let's uh, fast forward it. You you like you said you uh you, you recreate it yourself. So there was this this whole deal of uh, switching management, switching A and R, them not being interested, them deciding to let you go, and you're you're create. Well, you'd already started sort of this recreation before they let you go. And one of the things that was sort of happening in parallel when you were finding that voice, finding that new uh, sound was the rise of Trumpism and 2016 election and the rise of Bernie Sanders on the national stage. And I think some of that, you know, infiltrated your music, obviously. You have a social music. Um, now, we don't usually get super political on this show but i think the listeners know uh, do know that i'm a fan of bernie's always have been uh why why did you like bernie because you obviously are a big fan of him too a big supporter why were you a fan of bernie sanders sure that that's a great question and i'd preface it by saying i'm i'm i view um politics and and i view social causes as public transportation mm -hmm. and in this current election um uh, it my stop is not on the map necessarily exactly where i want to get where i'm going yeah but there are two very different routes for and sure one gets me closer to where i'm trying to go yes i want to just say that uh, up top because if there's anybody listening who's on the fence about this stuff. I know some people might change the channel on it, but <laughs> there's just so much invested as far as climate change, reproductive rights, yes. the right of so many Americans to exist. Mm -hmm. um, so those things really push me. I've done everything I can to advocate for voter registration. Um, and that's a nonpartisan issue. Yes. You know, anybody that's making being registered to vote or access to voting, anybody who's challenging that or suggesting that that is a political issue, that says all you need to know about about whether they represent the majority of the American people. But yeah, I was very influenced by the public um, civic duty that I feel is uh, em embodied in the Canadian identity. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a dual citizen, but you know, there used to be these iconic beer commercials because that's all Canada exports is, is <laughs> you know, Molson Canadian where the guy goes on about what it means to be a Canadian mm -hmm. and the themes of healthcare for all the themes of, um, you even look at the coronavirus handling in Canada. You have conservatism in Canada. You have liberalism, but everybody is telling you to respect the, you know, nonpartisan doctors and scientists yeah. who make public policy. Yeah. So those things were very early on instilled in me, maybe even before I knew that they existed. When I saw Bernie Sanders, when I saw videos of Elizabeth Warren grilling these Wall Street um, or, 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 or Silicon Valley mm -hmm. um, elite, you know, I just felt in that, like, there's hope in that. And, yeah. you know, certain people thought that Bernie Sanders' um, philosophies or his his policies were kind of pie in the sky, sensational. And it's like, yeah, but don't we have the courage to try? Yeah. You know, can we, can we imagine for a second not spending a trillion dollars, half of our tax money every year, on the war machine mm -hmm. and being able to have a, a family that's making 
fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year actually able to have a quality of life um, that's better than where it's at, where the, where a minimum wage job can support a one bedroom apartment, yeah, or where you know you get sick and it doesn't bankrupt you. Those things are not; they're only as um, idealistic or you know not naive as we collectively choose them to be. And so there was something that I just found very exciting and like galvanizing in that. Yeah. But one thing about Bernie that, you know, we love about him as much as can be frustrating is he will not dumb it down. You know, even the 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 phrase democratic socialism. Yeah. When I heard that for the first time, I just cringed. Yeah, you're gonna, it it's like, gonna hurt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like who is gonna? They hear people hear socialism, they think of the Cold War. Yeah. Meanwhile, you look at the GOP, you look at the the phrase alt right, and it sounds new. It and sounds fresh, cool. And it's, yeah, it, it's the it's majority right beside of it alt is pop. conspiracy yeah. theories and neo Nazi fascism. Yeah. But I just think that there is a gloss, there is a, like a, a media literacy of playing the game of getting young people excited about something that Bernie Sanders, for whatever reason has just refused to play for so long. And I, it just dawned on me that, like, this needs a soundtrack. This is rock and roll. This is good versus evil. This is the the few versus the many and the marginalized, voiceless, needing a voice. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it was a very quick but aggressive escalation in my music. I went from making a couple songs about being broke or, you know feeling lonely and mm-hmm. all of a sudden it was like whoa like this <laughs> can be something i talk about yeah and I, and and then i went on tour yeah. and it was when i was touring across the middle of america across the middle of canada when i would when there were kids that would otherwise not have anywhere to go stand up for what they believe in you mm-hmm. know when i put out my song thoughts and prayers which is a commentary on um, the hypocrisy of tweeting your condolences to the survivors of gun violence while making no effort to try to address this problem. Mm-hmm. And and it's not about taking people's guns that that are, you know, licensed and, and responsible. It's not yeah. about that. Again, do you have the courage to try and make this system better? Yeah. Um, whatever that might look like, we might get it wrong and we'll turn around and make it right. You yeah. know? But for me, it was always just, once I got out on tour and met people who believed what I believed, but but didn't come from the support system that I have, that actually had something to lose, yeah. who were disowned by their parents for expressing their 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 identity, yeah. those were, that was when it, there was no turning back for me creatively, nice. and that's when my music became much more confrontational and and infused these themes. and And just to close this segment again. I campaigned for Bernie Sanders. I was very lucky to perform on a town hall of his and I did some fundraisers for him. I think that what he's doing, I I think somebody like Andrew Yang, people that are ambitious and bold with, with their ideas, that is exciting to me. And I'm excited to vote for Joe Biden in this election. I'm excited about that because it will be an opportunity for us to address you know, what America's role is on the global stage to address climate change and and to at least acknowledge its reality. Those are things. And to get this pandemic over with, Mm -hmm. like I want to 
done with it. <laughs> my girlfriend is from Australia. They're done. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. They've got a handful of cases. They're having concerts again. Like yeah. the rest of the world is getting back to the swing of things. And we are stuck because we are trying to make America great again and go back to a time where it wasn't even that great. What? It wasn't that great. And where there was 200 million less people here. Yeah. So it's like, just wake the fuck up. This, you're not going backwards. No. You we're not going back to the 50s. It's not happening, people. I hope that we can get over with this and that my album coming out in, in December is is an obituary of an ideology instead of... Um, Instead of instead of its uh, a moratorium, of, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you know, I uh, talking about Bernie. I think it was, you know, I was I was very happy to see you uh, um, campaigning for him. Uh, and I I tell the people I tell people the reason that other people gravitate towards Bernie is he's an authentic public servant. Like mm -hmm. that's what he is. He has a desire to help people. And that's that's it. It's 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 truth. That's all he has. Yeah, is and truth I think of, that fundamentally there has been an issue on the left of people do not trust their the, the, the big money Wall Street and where I think that Hillary Clinton fundamentally did not address those public concerns in a way that made people comfortable voting for her. But I believe that Joe Biden does and has. And I do believe that we have a responsibility, um, you know, like it, instead of just sitting around waiting for why hasn't th this candidate come out and acknowledge these things, do you need to might need to spend an afternoon better understanding what the platform is. Maybe you should go to JoeBiden.com and understand that he's talking about investing $2 trillion into a brand new infrastructure across America. Like these things are out there to be found. Um, I think that we do seek authenticity. We don't want to feel we're being scammed or conned or deceived. And I think that that's a, that's a good thing. But at a certain point, we're like just shooting ourselves in the foot because, you know, it's like the, the, the tree votes for the axe because it sees the wooden handle and thinks it's one of them or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's the thing that it, like I tell people, I, I also on the show, I have a... Uh, I, I I often point out it angers me when when the media tries to segment our whole population into generational gaps. This is what Generation Z does. This is what millennials do. This is what uh, you know Generation X does, and so on. And you know I pointed out Bernie because like that's it didn't matter. You were sixteen yeah. to a hundred people listened to him. It didn't matter yeah. because they knew. He he was he was being authentic, you know, and and, so, and I hope that sooner or later there's going to come along somebody with, you know, a, 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 a charisma and a youthful energy, and they, they will ra rise because they they come from um, Bernie Sanders. That. There there will be the rise of progressivism, and and when we say progressivism, we mean progress. Yes, we mean more people in America having opportunity yeah and, you know we're talking about taxing the ultra wealthy to give normal people more opportunity like just yeah. create a more egalitarian a system where there's more opportunity for the average person and anybody who's trying to convince you otherwise like you know i come from canada do not listen to them that the health care there is all oh, so bad it's like, fantastic 
it's fantastic. It's yeah. fantastic. My my collaborator grew up in the Netherlands. You know, it's these places they they got something figured out that we are still working on, and so I am I am an an expression in in, in music, but I believe there are many. I, when I look at this this rise of progressivism and Bernie Sanders in 2015, because it was hugely influential on me for sure. For sure, he, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I go back to the the Tupac real recognizes real, and I think <laughs> I think with a lot of people, I mean, that's the thing is like he went and did a town hall at Fox News, and everybody was all for him at Fox News. Like how. How does he do that? He does it yeah. just by being He's a real him. Yeah. Yes. Well, now uh, I got really sidetracked there, but uh, I like it. I'm in. <laughs> uh, so once you found your sound and you started cultivating that that music that you made, uh, and like 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 I said, the the record company, the record label wasn't that jazzed about it, and uh, they let you go in August. And you put that song out, Blood Water, in October. And the response has been insane. I mean... Insane, dude. And you want to hear something crazy? Is literally... Uh, it's more popular now than ever before. Yeah. And I hope that... I want to, in 10, 20 years... I want to be able to go back and look at the correlation between unrest and the Spotify plays of Bloodwater because yeah. it is inexplicable. Like whenever there is a flare up of unease or or you know something happens, the song just spikes again and again, and it's uh, it's really fascinating. And you know the fact that we put that song out independent, the fact that it came out with no real release plan is indicative of I didn't know if I knew that that was the song I might have done it totally differently and, <laughs> and shot myself in the foot in the process well that's what um, I was gonna ask did you and uh, Chester and Kevin did you guys when you wrote it be like man this is something this is awesome like did you have I mean obviously you thought it was a good song or you wouldn't have made it I but thought like it was a cool song and to be honest with you it comes back to what we were talking about earlier with um it just felt like it sat in a unique place within this spectrum of electronic music, hip hop and rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Everything I had done up to that point, nothing had gone that far into a, ventured into electronic music like that. Mm. We had never done anything that was that um, far into an electronic soundscape. Yeah. This, you know, there, there is no live drums on that one yeah. like, at all. You know, it is very, very synthetic and so for me that was a little um it was it was i was almost more curious than anything i was like yeah i mean it's cool let's see wh where this takes people and um i never could have anticipated i, I never could have imagined how people gravitated to it and how not just that people gravitated to it but that you know, it's a song that for me, it was so obvious what it was about. Yeah. But seeing the applications, people relating that song to, it's just been used in a million different ways. Oh, yeah. Whether it is, you know, on Fox Sports football highlights mm -hmm. or political messages on both sides of the spectrum. It's just become this, you know, theme of, uh, of, of vengeance or, or, you know, I don't know. I it's pretty it's pretty 
it's pretty miraculous. I'm very, very lucky. Yeah, it's it's funny. It, you know, you you mentioned like both sides of the aisle. That immediately made me think of of Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA. Totally. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's one of those songs that just people like hear whatever it is they want to hear in it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well. So uh, you, you you hit this stride with that song, and I saw you talking about uh, touring. Uh, after that, you were touring. You were opening for the Smashing Pumpkins, and uh, your your mic just cut off. What in the in like during the performance, just cut off. That's right. And like the crazy thing is, you you were telling the story. Nobody helped you. Like, that was the amazing thing that I, I took out of that was, like, people were, everybody was just, like, looking at you from the back of the stage, like, oh, that sucks. Oh, man. Those oh, early days, I mean, we spent the first year, it was just the four of us. My my drummer, David Raymond, I got to give him credit. He was tour managing, booking flights, renting <laughs> the cars. I was selling my own T-shirts and trying to keep score, and people would just be walking off with them. <laughs> we're loading our gear into a minivan. You know, we were just trying not to lose too much money, yeah. you know, in, in, in getting my music out there. And, yeah, there was nobody that was going to help. You know, <laughs> nobody else knew what they were doing. And we got that opportunity. We got that gig. We just said yes, you know. They yeah. said, hey, you want to come open for the Smashing Pumpkins? It was like, uh, of sure. Yeah. Of course, we didn't look at the contract that we had signed up to do the longest set. I didn't even, at that point I didn't even have, it was like not an hour of music, 90 minutes of music. I have, man. I had like five songs out, man. you know? So we're doing unreleased demos and it was just a sloppy, and it was in front of 5,000 people. It was very humbling and frustrating at the time. But you know, then I went to the merch table after and there was, even if 10% of the crowd enjoys it, if one in 10 people enjoyed it in a crowd of, 5,000 people, you got yourself 500 new fans. Yeah. And so it comes back to what we were saying earlier. You just never know. You have to re remain just grateful to be here and just not forget, like, who's the boss around here. And it's the, the people watching. And uh, for sure, it's very, I could have been standing up there going, Do you know who I'm going to be? You know, it's like, <laughs> How long would that, you know, last? So yeah, that that was just that that was uh, that particular show in Chicago was a very memorable one. That was a good lesson, and I'm glad I learned it early. <laughs> well, well, along those same lines, as far as like you said, you never know who's watching. Uh, you you've got to work with a lot of great artists. I mean, you, you work closely with Mike Shinoda. Uh, uh, co-wrote one of the songs on the new album. Uh, Travis Barker, uh, Tom Morello. Uh, and to it, it's, it's funny because you always hear the phrase like, you know, never meet your heroes. But like, it seems like these guys couldn't have been better to me. Am I right? Yeah, totally. Each of them has taught me different things of those three in particular. I've been, I, I, I've been really lucky to be embraced by the, the original gangsters, the OGs of this genre, for yeah. sure. Um, I find that... Um, you know, it kind of counterintuitively, but but there's something to be learned here that the uh, the the people that I've worked with that have accomplished the most in their careers are often the people that are the most receptive to learning. Mm -hmm. You know, like Mike Shinoda is a great example. Lincoln Park, a hundred million records sold. This guy, you know, does not get the credit he deserves. Yeah, um, as being a pioneer of alternative music, and messaged me on instagram directly wow. person to person 
just because he heard Blood Water and just like wanted to get to know how I made it. You know, Man. he just wanted to understand what's our process like. And, you know, and, and then when we did get together and start working on music, he was very much um, sensitive to the dynamic between me and Boone, my co-writer. And same with Travis. Me and Tom got some some unreleased stuff cooking up. Like, wow. I've found that it's actually the young guys with something to prove that that's, that might unintentionally start stepping on your toes or telling you what to be. But the, the, the guys that really got somewhere as artists um when they start producing i i find they can be very very um understanding or like or like yeah. they they, yeah, they understand that the, the how complicated the dynamic can be and so i've learned a lot and and they've also empowered me to just trust my intuition trust my gut and if i can work on a song with tom morello then you know who can tell me anything that used to be <laughs> I used to be so self-conscious when people would, I would get those early write-ups and people would say, you know, it's political and it's rock and it's the new Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. And I was like, I can't be the new Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine is still the new yeah. Rage Against the Machine. Um, but once I met Tom Morello and Tom told me, keep doing what you're doing, then I'll take that. Then all of a sudden I felt like this huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. Now Where again, it was it felt like he just gave me permission to 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 you know did rip you, him off. Did you did you ask him if if he had heard those same things about your music? I, I you know what I didn't. I, the fair, but just as soon as I met him, he said, "Hey, I love what you guys are doing." And nice. it was just like, "Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you." And and he told me, you know, he taught me when you look at Rage Against the Machine, like so much of their music came together in these quick spurts of uh, bursts of inspiration mm -hmm. you know, in between tours they'd get together for three weeks and that would be an album yeah and he told me tom taught me when you get a, a good creative wave going just ride it you know nice. just get everything you can out of it if you gotta cancel you know a flight back home stay there until you can't think of anything else to make because because <laughs> you just don't know when inspiration will come and go for sure um that was that was a really valuable lesson from him that i've tried to that i've tried to remember i think i think on the uh on the mike shinoda i wouldn't have believed it i if if i would have got that message i'd be like somebody's punking oh, I me didn't. somebody you know, stole I this somebody I, I thought it must have been at, at first i thought it was a fan who just like you know but then i saw they were the, the verification yeah and then i was like i assumed it was a publicist or something but i responded very diplomatically yeah you know just to thank you for reaching out blah 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 and he was like no problem i was like oh <laughs> i think this is mike shinoda like, <laughs> i think this is the guy yeah. and uh yeah he's become a, a really good friend and mentor and We've we've worked on a, a lot of different stuff. Some of it is is on its way out. Some yeah. of it may never see the light of day. But to just be around somebody who's that accomplished but remains that you know curious, he's just a real artist. He's drawing on Twitch now. He's he's painting. He's making solo music. He's working on all kinds of stuff on any given day. And that's the kind of artist I want to I want to be one day. For sure. Well, speaking of your art, you just released uh, about a month ago 
Dirty Riptide and Identity, which are going to be part of the full-length project. Now, I had the release date December 4th. Is it still set for December 4th as far as Death of an Optimist? Still there. If there is an America, there will be Death of an Optimist coming out December 4th. Nice, nice. Now, the music video you just released for Dirty, super cool. Uh, you Thank did, you. You did it with Carl uh, Junquist. Um in the video, you did a pretty good amount of dancing. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta ask: are, are you a dancer? Did those take some? Those scenes take some work. You know what? I did a couple. I did a couple of lessons back in the day. My nice. Mom forced nice. me to do like two weeks of hip hop when I was like twelve years old. I picked up a couple moves. Yes. Um. It. Yeah. I, it was another one of those things that was like, what can I come out of quarantine having having pushed myself. You know, so yeah. the acting and the choreography, it was fun. It was just a thing that I don't know how to do, and I'm embarrassed, I'm nervous. <laughs> it feels like right before I'm about to go on stage or something. Yeah. So I, I chase that feeling. Nice. I chase that feeling of just, just yeah, David Bowie said, you know, you just go into the swimming pool and just get to right where your feet can't quite touch the bottom. And that's where all the good shit Yeah, for sure. For so sure. So that, that one was a fun one to do, and... And Dirty is a song that it appeals to those feelings of agency and empowerment we were talking about. But, yeah. but from, from a place of compassion. Yeah. From, you know, when we're talking about something like, you know, Bernie Sanders or healthcare for all, don't you, don't you love your neighbor? Like, yeah. don't you care enough to, to go and get your hands dirty, to get involved, to vote? To, to have an uncomfortable conversation with that one relative we all have um, <laughs> or multiple <laughs> but that's um that's that's what I think that that song in particular for me was like it was just a new approach to trying to teach uh, to try to speak to us the same lesson that same feeling nice and so far it's been doing really well it's like starting to make its way up the you know yeah the charts and it's on Spotify it's cool it's nice to see the work get recognized but but um, I hope that come November 3rd, it'll feel like it moves the needle a little bit somehow. For sure. Well, now, how would you say this album, because it's, it's all, it's all ready. It's ready to go. How would you say this death of an optimist compares to modern tragedy volume one and two? Um, man, I, I really appreciate you asking a question like that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I would say that. The Modern Tragedy series was a little more of um, a commentary on these individual things happening in the world. Mm -hmm. I had a song called Six O'Clock that addressed pr police brutality, mm -hmm. a song called Overdose that spoke to the opioid epidemic in America. Yeah. Um, you know, songs like that, a song called Is This What You Wanted was kind of a, a sarcastic take on you know, nobody wanting to hear an artist have any political views. Yeah. Um, this project has a little more of a personal theme of how do I continue to find hope um, as an artist and, and just as a person navigating 2020. Yeah. It, it speaks both to, um, you know, what's happening in the world, but also for me, very personally, when we talk about Blood Water, you know, it's a song that speaks about the inevitable karma that is around the corner. Yeah. And, you know, it's three years later. Am I going to get on stage and keep telling people it's it's right around the corner if it hasn't yeah. 
You know, that those themes of, uh, it happened a couple times for me. I, I publicly endorsed Beto in, in, in Texas to, to um, when he was running against Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. And I, it, I live within a very liberal bubble. I'm, a, I'm an artist, musician in California. And, mm-hmm. you know, you live in your reality and it was it was completely inevitable to me that Beto O'Rourke was going to win that election. All of the the right people had endorsed him, and it just felt like the the things were changing. And then all of a sudden, he he lost. Yeah, you know. And it's similar with Brexit, I have a lot of fans in Europe and, and in the UK who, the, when I would read about it, it was just so obvious mm-hmm. that this was a huge mistake. They were going to do a referendum. They were going to do a recount mm-hmm. and that we were going to get back to normal. They lost by an even broader margin yeah. the second time. Yeah. And so you're sitting there and when I'm sitting here going, do I just make another blood water when I'm not, there are times where my faith has been really tested yeah. in, in fundamentally do more people think the way I think than don't. Yeah. Maybe I'm the one that's crazy. Maybe <laughs> I am an idealist. Maybe I am too optimistic. Yeah. And so this album really it, it flips back and forth and I think paints a compelling argument for both sides, frankly. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think everybody has to... I mean, I, I think most people want to be optimistic and about whatever it is, regardless of what you think, you want to be optimistic. But after several years of things getting knocked down that you believe in, it's like, do I do I keep looking positive? I keep thinking, right. and I'm and, and I'm being and I'm the guy for some people. You know, yeah. I'm the progressive rocker for some people. Yeah. Who, if you know, if not from their family members or from their news station, they are looking to me to remind them that yeah. it's happening. And so, this was very much a crossroads for me of like, you know, what am I doing? Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe I'm the guy that did blood water, and maybe that's what it is, and maybe I should go make songs about something else or start a new project and let grandson be this time capsule of a time that I felt optimistic. But ultimately I've done so much work over the years trying to work with community organizers and address the issues my generation faces. And I, I'm still waking up and prepared to keep fighting and keep hoping. Nice. And that's the conclusion that this, um, album will hopefully lead you to, um, and that's and it was very cathartic to write. It was exhausting. It was challenging. But by the time I was able to listen through it, it it reveals the parts of myself that I've always internally been very conflicted by. Yeah. Um. In a way that I that that paid respect while also reminding myself that the those they they can't and won't win. Those those voices in my head that tell me. No, change, so, change isn't happening. So, so regardless of the title, regardless of the title, the optimist Jordan is still underneath grandson. Regardless uh, of the it's title, it's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> I think that uh, I'll say this: I think that there's a version of optimism that I had, and certainly people around me I know have had. Of you know, I'm just of course this is going to happen. So, so, but I'm not going to do anything. I don't have to do it because yeah. it's going to happen. You know, I don't need to be the one. I don't need to be the path, asking people if the, they're registered to vote because. But but still, everyone's going to get it. That mentality 
is exactly what led us here. The death, so the death of the passive optimist. The blind optimist or yes. something. Yes. Doesn't really ring off the tongue quite as well. Yes, I got you, man. I got well, so aside from the release date, December fourth and, and looking forward. Uh, to the change, what else uh, is are you doing leading up to this this release date of of the new album? Um, well, I think that to be honest, I've spent the last couple of weeks just really focused on on voter turnout, mm-hmm. on um, the election, doing whatever little part I can do to um, get people knowing that they're registered. Double check your registration status. Have a plan. People are up to twenty percent more likely to vote if you have a plan before election day Mm -hmm. don't just wake up and go yeah today's the day if you don't even know where you're going to go to vote if you don't have a plan so just trying to encourage people to take it seriously um so that's what i've been up to but but after that we've got a couple little tricks up our sleeve with some more stuff that we're going to be shooting and putting out nice maybe one more song before the album comes out we'll see if people want that yeah we're going to be watching to see what happens with dirty if it continues to grow and and continues to get the love that it's getting right now um and who knows who knows i've got a concept album i've been working on i've been starting to get some auditions sent my way to do some acting stuff so wow it could go a lot of different ways i'm just uh I'm just trying to chase that feeling. Just get uh, get out to where my feet can't touch the water. Nice, man. Nice. I love it. Well, Jordan, I want to thank you for taking so much time to talk to us today, man. It's been fantastic. I really, really appreciate the conversation. I hope anybody listening is registered to vote and prepared to get this thing done. We're almost there. The news cycle will hopefully turn off for one day, November 4th. But till then, we got to make sure we're registered to vote. And um, Death of an Optimist. December 4th, my debut album. I can't wait for you to hear it. Thank you for having me. That's it. I already did vote, by the way. Early vote. Atta boy. It's already, boy. It's already happened. Uh, <laughs> listeners, you can check out all things Grandson at grandsonmusic.com. You can follow him on Spotify and Instagram at Grandson. Right now, let's take a listen to Is Dirty right here on the Doc G Show. And we are back here on the Doc G show. Grandson. Grandson. Yeah. Man. First of all, folks, like you said, get out there. Vote. Vote like your life depends on it, guys. Yes. Now I wanna I wanna see that voting level over 175 million. Yes. That's what I wanna see. I wanna see it Thank over you. 175. I think it can be done, and I think we can put the country in the right direction. That's what I think. Amen. Anyways, anyways, I like I liked his stories, man. I enjoyed those two stories. Dude, I really gotta love them. I really feel like I related to that Jack White story because I feel like that. I, I feel like everyone could relate to that. Like you see, you're, you're one of these people that yeah. you, you know you idolize or whatever, and what and you never really think about what you would say to yeah. them. Yeah, you know, you know, if that comes out, if that happened (laughs) with me, with Michael Jordan, it'd be way dumber than that. So true. Way dumber. Well, you may say congratulations and we're just at like some party and he's like, what? And you're like, 
You're the goat. Congratulations. I, w- I would probably just <laughs> scream like a five-year-old girl and then pass out. That's just, yeah. That's, I mean, I've pretty much regulated myself to that reaction. Like, I know that's what would happen. Like, I would just get really sweaty. My heart rate would go up to 140, and then I'd just fall over on the ground. That's pretty much it. Oh, my gosh. But... Yeah, no, man. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, grandson can get back into those uh, push-ups, man. I'm hoping definitely get back on those hopefully push-ups. We, we all can get into some push-ups. You know, I've been, I've been in a good jump on that train. I've been in a good fitness pandemic grind. I'll say, you know. All right, me and me and grandson get back in on the push-ups. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not saying like I've turned into Arnold Schwarzenegger or anything over the pandemic, <laughs> but like you know, right. I've been getting good workouts in. Been consistent. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. But anyways, I've been consistently inconsistent. Oh, mm, the ups and downs, the yo-yos. Oh, man. Yes. Well, thank you to grandson for coming on the show. Can't thank you enough, man. Yeah, definitely, man. Thank. You. Fantastic. He's gonna do big things. That's right. He's gonna do big things, and obviously we. Have Helped him none by being on our show, but it's okay. Nope, it's all right. <laughs> we uh, usually zero, zero fans. He added. did. He had no idea, but usually when people come on our show, their popularity takes a dip, and it takes them a while yes. to get back to where they were before. Poor guy. It's fine. It's fine. Anyways, Dave, it's that time. You know what time it is? Shoe and tell. Shoe and tell. Do it. Let's go. Woo! So this one's a short one. You know, this is a short one. This is just the this is this is number twenty two before yeah, the big twenty three to the biggie. But right. I am a fan of what I've got for the twenty twos. I told you this All this right. whole this whole uh, ten spot uh, the twenties are going to be good. So twenty two, what I have here, I've got the thirty fours, my friend. Once again. <laughs> Another pair of 34s. These are the 34 lows. Now, okay. What I like about these, you got you got several things that are pretty cool about these, but basically, they've got a lot of style from both the 7s mm-hmm. and the 3s. Hmm. So you got like the really? the elephant skin styling on the back of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then on the front, You've got a whole bunch of crazy colors like the nothing but nets. So you've got all these oh. like 90s zigzag different colors all over the place. Very nice. I like it. Are yours like the uh, felty looking ones? They're like white with a little bit of black trim. Yeah, there, there is black trim, but like these have got colors all over them. Say what? So, yeah, there's like a red and purplish. Yes, yes. The tongue has a red jump man with a purple flight under it. Yes, exactly. That okay. is them. Now cool. they are not cool. like so. Not to be confused for the listeners, there is a Zion version that is also very colorful. This is not the Zion version. Nope. This is uh, uh, I I forget if they they had a name for them, but it wasn't like a you know. I don't know. It wasn't like some kind of like a bread or anything like that. It's just 34 low print yeah. is what it's called. Yeah. 
It's, uh, but I am a big fan of them. And like I said earlier when we talked about the 34s, definitely one of the best Jordans to actually play so in. So true. Pretty awesome. You can tell, too. Yeah, they look like it. They were all over the bubble, man. I mean, Jason Tatum yeah, wears them. The, the high ones. Walker yeah. wears them. Zion wears them. Like, uh, they look like they got a lot of technology in them. Well, I mean, they're very light. The top part, they're very sturdy, mm -hmm. though, but also very responsive on the sole because, mm -hmm. like, that center mm -hmm. midsole with the plastic makes it so you got really good support, but also you got a really right. good bounce on the on the, uh, the front of the foot with the uh, Zoom Air. So just solid. Yep. Just solid overall. They just came out. I didn't even know either. I actually ordered them before they were released in America. Off of uh, off of goat. Oh, these are the Asia release. These are. Oh shoot! I've literally got an Asian tag on these. <laughs> like I didn't. That's funny. Yeah, I didn't even know, man. So yeah, they uh, they Look are. Look at you, you sneakerhead, you. I was, you know, I do it. That's why we're already to twenty two different pairs of Jordans that I have. That's why. So true. I am a sneakerhead, but there you go, twenty two. As I said, though, Dave, get ready. Next week. Nice choice. Next week. Some it's, it's super straight get, fire. Get, yes, exactly. Super straight fire. So we need to get through two birthday suits real quick. Here we go. All right. First one, I'm confident on this one. Very confident. More confident than Julia Roberts. This is 97%. All right, good. I need it. Born on October 28, 1955 in Seattle, Washington. His father was a lawyer. His mother was on the board of directors of United Way of America. At the age of 13, mm. in 1968, he wrote his first software program. Wow. He did wow. this apparently because a club at school had brought a, uh, bought a Model 33 ASR terminal and a block of computer time on a general electric computer for students. I can only imagine that general electric computer had to be like the size of a bank or like a public's building like it had to be huge in 1968 right anyways in high school he was actually enlisted by the school to automate their class scheduling system in 1970 hmm. in 1972 he was a national merit scholar he scored 1590 on his sats and went to harvard hmm. However, our birthday suit wear dropped out after two years. Instead, he decided to form a company with his high school friend. He called the company Microsoft in 1975. Bill Gates, Bill Gates is correct. Yes, indeed. He's a freaking genius. Pretty smart. Pretty smart. I mean, to get into computers in 1968... It's not really where computers were raging. I can tell you that much. No, he is uh, currently worth a hundred and five billion dollars. So you know, Man. a little bit of a little bit of cash. He had a right. He had an angry streak, apparently. Not like an angry streak, but he was just a, a hard driver in meetings. You know, if he didn't like things I, going on, he'd just be like, "Oh yeah, well, your program sucks." So let's not do that. You know, he's very apparently very sarcastic. And then if he didn't think it was going well, he'd just be like, you know what? I'll finish it over the weekend. That was always yeah, his I mean, comment. You know, I'll finish when you, it over when the you weekend. get to that level of genius. I mean, 
You got to be a harsh critic, I feel like. Well, I mean, again, let's not let's not uh, throw his genius up there too high. I mean, he's definitely an innovator, but I like to exclude genius to a very very few crowd. He is very smart, very in- inventive and built off of a lot of other people. But, you know, it took a group. Microsoft had several people uh, starting out that made those operating systems, and there were several circumstances that came to that. Uh, I think there was a uh, uh, a business ingenuity with him. I don't know if I can say genius, though. That's a, that's a big jump. Okay. I have a very okay. very well, exclusive... He's, he's definitely smarter than me. Their own. He's definitely smarter than me. We can put that down. So true. Smarter than me. But... So true. Genius? Yeah. Mm, that's tough. That's tough. That's tough. I don't know. Anyways, it's his birthday, and he's, uh, what is he, 65. 65. 65. Happy birthday. Yeah, it's not too bad to have a happy birthday when you got $105 billion. 60, I don't think. 65, man. You'd think he'd be older. That's crazy. Yeah, he's done a lot. Done a lot in 65 years, for sure. Now he's all about the philanthropy. Doing lots of philanthropy. Uh, he's He's donated, well, he's... He's signed off and guaranteed that he will give at least half of his worth by the time that he dies. So he will give wow. 50, 52 billion away. Which I mean, honestly, Impressive. let's be honest, you should. Yes! I mean, what do you need a hundred and five billion dollars for? Come on, right? Come on. Anyways, Dave, on to the next one. Happy birthday, Bill Gates. Here we go. Next one. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is ninety-seven percent as well. Pretty confident on this one. Okay. Born in Glendale, West Virginia, October 28, 1972. His dad uh, worked for the Department of Transportation in West Virginia, and his mom was a teacher. His grandfather gave him his first guitar when he was eight and taught him how to play. At age 13, he wrote his first song, which was titled Born on Christmas Day. He started opening for acts like the Judds, Ricky Skaggs, and George Jones when he was in high school. He ended up going to Mm -hmm. Belmont, University of Belmont in Nashville for music business. Mm. Within a week Mm -hmm. of graduating, he was signed to EMI as a songwriter. Near the end of the Mm. 90s, he started transitioning into performing instead of songwriting. He made his first appearance as a guest on the Grand Ole Opry in 1999. Mm. That year, he had a number one country single with he don't. Uh, he didn't have to be, and we mm-hmm. danced in 2001. He won his first Grammy Award uh, in 2001 as well. In 2002, he won the CMA Award for Video of the Year with his Fishing Song. His third album was Mud on the Tires, which was released in 2003. Which fe- Brad Paisley. Brad Paisley is correct. Yes. Let's go. Yes. He has Finally. won three Grammy Awards, a whole bunch of CMA and CMT Awards, and is a member of the Grand Ole Opry and performed for Barack Obama in 2009 in a concert titled oh. Country Music at the White House. There you go. Very cool. He's uh, apparently working on his 12th album, 12th studio album. Man, that's impressive. Jeez. Yeah, he's done a, done a lot for only uh, only being 48. 48. Man, happy birthday, Brad. I mean, let's be honest. 
I enjoy his I enjoy his Peyton commercials with Peyton Manning. Oh, dude, the Peyton and Brad commercials are so good. They're so like cheesy but good. They're just, I mean they're just positive people and they make me happy. Yeah, you know it's yeah. just it's just good stuff. Happy birthday, Brad Paisley, forty eight as I said. Have a have a have a good birthday, Bill Gates too, and of course Julia Roberts. All happy yes. birthdays, uh, all of you. Dave, very excited. Two shows, very good shows coming up. Next week, mm. we've got the fantastic... I'm super excited about these guys. I might be just as excited about these guys as I was about Grandson. I don't know. Ooh. I don't know. And Who since, we got? Since there's three of them, I may be even more excited, you know, just because there's more oh. people. But right. it's Magic City Hippies. Magic Ooh. City Hippies. Uh, these guys, of Another course... banger for the guests. Of course, Magic City being Miami, these guys uh, cut their teeth in Miami at a bar I used to frequent when I was an undergrad. Not too often, as you know, Dave. Not a big drinker, so, nope. yeah, you know. But I That's did a- go there. Did head out there. Shout out to Cold Hard Cash Money. Me and CHC Dollar Sign went there a lot. Um, but these guys, these guys... Like, lived the life in Miami that I wish I did. Like, they, right. their life just seems so awesome. They lived in a place called the Hippie Castle. They titled it the Hippie Castle. What? And it just it just reeked of 70s vibes. And they just hung out, and they made music, and they hung out by the pool at the Hippie Castle. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, I wish I was there right now. Yes. Oh, I can't wait to talk to them. And... I've noticed, uh, Dave, that their lead singer, I feel like in 20 years, he may be the next Dosa Keith's most interesting man in the world. I think. Oh, yeah. Like every single one of his pictures, he just looks like there's a, a really long story behind that picture. You're like, I feel like some things happened there. I feel like some really interesting <laughs> things happened in this picture. You know? Right. But I can't wait to talk to him. And then... We've got another fantastic guest. We've got Will and uh, Jack from from Dead Poets Society. Fantastic band. Originally out of Boston, uh, but they've moved to L.A. They are uh, just uh, super talented guys. All went to Berkeley School of Music. Just a, a great interview. Can't wait for that one. Two great shows coming up. Two weeks. Can't wait. Can't wait. That's right. But for now, we got to wrap it up, Dave. Got to wrap it up. Yes, I'm been your host, Doc G. With me, as always, the man that still holds the title. His jersey is in the rafters of Longhorn Steakhouse. Dave Burles, Berlin. Gone but not forgotten, folks. Mm-hmm. See you next week. They really need to start putting jerseys up in the rafters at Longhorns. Let's be honest. That'd be That'd be awesome. Then again, there's some there's some pretty high turnover in those type of jobs. I feel like <laughs> they might they right. might run out of room after a while. There might be like you have to work like a certain amount. How long did you work at Longhorn? Uh, five years too long. Yeah, five years is the cutoff. If you work less than five years, you can't have your 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 uh, jersey retired. That's it. I'm got. Right. I'm gonna talk to management, Dave. We're gonna make this thing happen. Do Don't it. worry. <laughs> All right. Until next week, guys. Zip it up and zip it out. Zippity doo dah.